Well, again, good morning. Uh, it is great to be together this morning uh, to worship together on this fourth Sunday of Advent. It's the final Sunday of Advent, the season that we've been celebrating that leads up to Christmas. It's the 40 days leading up to Christmas where we uh, celebrate the first coming of Jesus, but then we also look forward to and long for his second coming, for the return of Jesus. And so uh, this Advent, we've been talking about Advent as, as a time that we really need. Uh, just given everything that's been going on, everything that we've endured over the course of 2020, um, we need a time such as this. And so we've looked at these uh, different themes of Advent as a time for hope, a time for renewal, a time for justice. And then this morning we're going to look at Advent as a time for joy, uh, as a time for joy. And so as we do that, I just want to start with a question. Uh, I want you to just think in your mind about a time when you were joyful. Uh, Hopefully you can think of something within the past year, just a moment when you experienced some measure of joy. So maybe it was a time with friends, maybe it was um, you know, time with someone you love, maybe it was a powerful time in worship or in prayer, uh, maybe it was doing something that you love, but just let your mind kind of go to a place where you experienced joyfulness. And as you're thinking about that, um, I'll share what I thought of when I asked myself this question earlier this week. I thought of my kids. So as a, as a dad of three kids under 10, uh, experiencing joy is almost a weekly event in my house on some measure. Now, it's not all joy. Don't get the wrong idea. Parenting is hard. It's just as hard at our house as it is at your house. But I, I think the experience that I have with my kids so often reminds me of joy because they, they kind of have this... They're unspoiled in a sense in terms of their joy in the world. There's, there's a lack of kind of, you know, uh, any sense to be apologetic about their joy. There's, a, there's no sense of kind of being jaded uh, in their view of the world. And so I, I love thinking about this in terms of my kids. And it's, it's the little things sometimes with my kids. Um, so Bennett, our youngest, who's six, the first thing that pops in my head is his laugh. Like, that kid loves to laugh. He just giggles, and it's infectious. And so it just kind of spreads joy around our family, which we need. Um, I think of Mary Camden, my 10-year-old daughter, and the fact that over the last few weeks, we've kind of stumbled into this new little habit where we, a couple times a week, she'll be the first up out of bed, and we'll go for an early morning walk together. And just the two of us just get to be together. And it's this really special time. It's nothing like big, but it's this special time, and it's just there's a joy that marks it. Or I think of a bigger event this summer when my son, after two weeks, uh, two weeks after back surgery, uh, spinal surgery, walked out of the hospital, and there's this picture, maybe you've seen it because I think we posted it, this picture of him walking out the hospital door with his hands up in the air, just throwing him up in this smile of joy on his face. And so when I think about joyful experiences over the last year, those are some of the things that I thought of. So I wonder when you think of joy, like what comes to your mind? What do you picture? Um, and I say that, again, mindful of the kind of year we've had. <laughs> it's been a really hard year. And so maybe that question, it's hard for you to think of, man, a joyful moment is hard for me to think of right now. Uh, a joyful moment is hard because of maybe you've experienced a measure of loss or of suffering over the last 12 months or so. Maybe it's been the kind of year that basically you feel like the joy has almost been beat out of you at certain levels in certain ways. Uh, between the politics and the pandemic, there's just this fatigue that you feel, a measure of almost like cynicism, 
don't know if you sense that. It's almost like in the air sometimes, just this sense of even hopelessness um, about certain things. And, and maybe it goes beyond that. Maybe there's a sense in which even before COVID, life was hard. And that was true for a lot of us, that we weren't facing a pandemic, but we were facing real hard things in our lives. And so the world can feel like a hard and dark place. And this, again, this cynicism can settle in and we can kind of get to this place where, well, this is just how things are, right? We kind of settle into that place. It's just how things are and things really won't ever change. And in a world like that, right, one of the dangers for us as followers of Jesus is that we can lose our joy. We can actually lose our joy. We can be disillusioned and cynical. We can actually begin to doubt and even dismiss the work of God in, in our lives and around us, the things that God has done and will do. We can become skeptical about that. We begin to believe the lie that is, uh, this world is all there is, you know, that there's nothing beyond this and nothing will ever change. We can lose sight of the gospel, in other words, if we're not careful. And so in this world that we live in, um, it can be a joy stealer, right? It can be a joy killer for all of us. And so as we think about Advent and we think about this as a time for joy, I want it to be a time where we're reminded and encouraged by the true joy that we have in Christ that's not connected to our circumstances, but that is rooted in Jesus, which is a joy that ultimately nothing can take for us. And it's not just happy feelings. It's deeper than that. It's more than that. And so we're gonna look at joy this morning. As we do, I wanna invite you to open up to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. If you wanna grab one of those blue Bibles um, near you, if you don't have one, or open up the Bible on your phone, it'll be helpful for you to be able to see um, the passage that we're gonna look at this morning, especially the song of Mary that she sings. Um, and just as you're turning there, um, you know, what's happening here is Mary has learned that she's going to be the mother of Jesus. That's what's happening. So that's, that's, that's Mary. She's going to give birth to this long-awaited Messiah, the Savior King. And part of her response here is to sing this beautiful song. It's called the Magnificat, uh, which comes from the first line in the song. Um, that her soul magnifies the Lord. It means to make God great, make, make God bigger is another way to think of it, that she's celebrating God. And so this is how the, this beautiful song begins. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And so she sings this, this beautiful, beautiful song and, and it kind of goes on from there. But it begins with these words, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And it's this beautiful song. It is a beautiful song. But it's also, it's spiritual warfare, right? It's more than just a song. It's, it's spiritual warfare against hopelessness. It's a prophetic declaration of this is who God is, and this is what God has done. And so it's praise. It just bubbles up from within her. It's a response. It's a heart cry of joy. That's how we should see this song. And so Mary is expressing this, and she's not alone in the Christmas story expressing this joy, is she? We, we read in other places in the Christmas story. For example, in Luke chapter two, we're told the angels declared to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And then a few verses later, uh, the shepherds are glorifying and praising God for all the things they have heard and seen. In Matthew 2, 10, we're told that the wise men saw the star and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that line. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Just pile joy on top of joy on top of joy. That's the response. So in other words, as we're, as we're looking at this this scene, what we're supposed to understand is that joy is like literally exploding all over the place. Joy is exploding around the advent, the coming of Jesus into the world. In other words, with Jesus' presence comes joy. With Jesus' presence comes joy. And so this morning, I want us to consider joy and and, and really two questions in light of what we're looking at here. What is joy? And then how do we be a people of joy? What is joy? And how do we become a people of joy? So first, what is joy? So if you're looking in Luke chapter one, if you scan down uh, past that first line of her song, um, if you scan across that song, she goes on to talk about why she's joyful. Uh, She says, first, that God has done great things for me. In other words, as she's reflecting, she's bringing to mind, She's bringing to mind the good things in her life, the ways God's provided for her and cared for her, and specifically how he's been faithful in this promise of a child. And not just any child, but a child who will be the savior of the world. And so she goes on to sing about this God. She sings about his mercy. She sings about his strength, his provision, his help, his promises. And not just to her, but to the people of God. She pivots from singing about what he's done for her to what he's done for all of Israel. And so she's singing about what God has done down through history for his people, generation after generation. And so her song, it ends with this this line. It says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So in other words, nearly 2,000 years before this moment where she's singing this song, Jesus was born. Before that moment, before Jesus was born, God had made these promises to Abraham and his descendants. And this is what he said, Genesis 12. God said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So you see, Mary's song, in other words, it's, it's not just about her, it's It's echoing the longing of God's people all down through history. In the past, God's people have cried out, right? They've cried out for deliverance. They've counted on this blessing that God would bless them and make them a blessing. They've counted on God to hold to that promise. And so they've cried out to him to deliver them, to save them, to redeem them. And while God has moved in the past to do all these things, there is a deeper longing, right, beneath what God has done before. This this deeper longing to see salvation come that would never be taken away a salvation that would never end and that promise of God's ultimate salvation was being fulfilled in Jesus through Jesus this descendant of Abraham there's God working to bless the world and Mary knows this and she longs for the promises of God to be fulfilled in this child and she knows that's happening in Jesus and so she rejoices she's singing this song of joy And that's so important, I think, to understand that framework for Mary's joy because that really is the framework for all joy. Joy in the Bible is framed by the story of God at work in history. 
Joy has to be framed by the work of God through history. Joy isn't, in other words, merely an emotion. It's not just something we feel. It's, it's not just the opposite of sadness or unpleasantness. It is the opposite of despair. It's the opposite of hopelessness. It's a living in response to the fulfillment of God's promises to renew and to redeem and to restore. And so, in other words, to put it simply, joy is longing fulfilled. That's how Bible, the Bible talks about joy. Joy is longing fulfilled in our lives. So, just think about some kind of tangible uh, examples of this. So, one example might be um, the longing that a couple has for a child. So, think about what a, a, a couple would go through if they had a baby. You give birth to a child, but it's after a long experience of infertility, right? Of struggling to get pregnant. There's a joy that would come in that moment, right, of the birth of that child that, that is connected to this deep heart longing and that longing being fulfilled. Or I think of a friend of mine uh, who actually texted a group of us this week. Uh, she's a friend who's about my age. She's never been married, and she got engaged this past week. And uh, she, she's been so faithful to the Lord uh, she's been so willing to just let go of this and said, whatever you want for my life, God, I will let you do. And so if that means being single, great. But she's also longed in the depths of who she is to be married. And so she got engaged and our group text like blew up with joy, right? In response to this deep heart longing in her life being fulfilled. And so joy in the story of scripture that's how it functions. It's the fulfillment of longings. And so if it's the fulfillment of our longings, then it follows, I think, that the greatest joy would come from the fulfillment of our deepest longing. And what is our deepest longing? Our deepest longing is for God himself. Our deepest longing is for God himself. True joy, in other words, is found in God. Joy is found in God, not merely in what God has done or will do, but in God himself. Psalm 1611 says that in your presence there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love what John Ortberg said. He said, we will not understand God until we understand that God is the most joyful being in the universe. God also knows sorrow. Jesus is described as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, but the sorrow of God like the anger of God, is his temporary response to a fallen world. It will be banished forever from God's heart on the day of Jesus' return when the world is set right. It's because joy is his basic character. God is the happiest being in the universe, Orberg says. I love that. I love thinking about God that way, as a joyful being. Which means ultimately all joy is derived from the very heart of God himself. It's, it's who he is. It's, it's his character and it's the fruit of his character. That's what Galatians 5 tells us. The fruit of the spirit is joy. It comes from God. I love how one commentator put it. He said joy is so personal. It's so personal to God that it's almost as if the Bible speaks of joy as a person sometimes. It's not just a feeling or an experience or an abstract truth. It's who God is. He is joy. And so that means something really important for us. It means that all joy, right? So think about this. All joy in the universe, 
wherever joy is experienced, right? So raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, right? That, that joy, all the way to what joy you get from doing the work you were made to do, to deep friendships, to marriage, to wherever you experience joy. The whole gambit of joy is an experience of God. Any true joy, in other words, ultimately can trace its origins back to God himself. Isn't that amazing? What if you ever thought about it that way? Any joy you experience in life, however small it may be, is an experience of God and who God is. Because the ultimate source of joy is God. Because God is joy. So, if you read the Bible, you'll discover that this is the God we worship. This is the God that worship. It's the, it's the God that Mary is singing about. So, for example, if you look at Genesis 1, let's just go to the very beginning of the Bible. Is God really a God of joy? Look what it says in the beginning of the Bible. This is the God who created the world, right? What does it say in the Genesis story over and over and over? What is the refrain about what God has done in creation? Do you remember? What does it say? He is good. It says God saw that it was good, which is telling us that God is good and what he makes is good. He saw it and it was good. God is good and he makes good things. That's where the story of the universe begins. This is what Job 38 tells us. God's talking to Job, and he, 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 he starts talking to him about creation. And this is what he says. He says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked out its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and listen to this, all of the angels shouted for joy. All of the angels shouted for joy. That's what's, so when you read Genesis 1, from now on, what you should hear in the background is angels shouting for joy. It's like the chorus being sung behind the narrator of Genesis 1. From the very beginning of creation, there was joy. God's heart of joy is woven into the fabric of creation. It's part of who we are. It means that you and I are designed and we are destined for joy. We were made in his likeness, in his image, and so we were made for life with God and with one another and in a world that he created. And he created a world marked by joy. It's the world we live in. And so I just want to ask you, when you imagine what God is like, what is he like in your mind? What, what is God like? If you were going to meet God for coffee this afternoon, right? What kind of God do you expect would show up? Would he be a God who's disappointed in you? Would he be a God who is ashamed of you? Would it be a God who's kind of stoic and emotionally kind of distant? God doesn't feel things, right? God's not marked by joy. Or is he? Would you encounter a God who is joyful? A God who you know can meet the deepest longings of your heart. Do you believe that? You're longing for peace, for real hope, for love. What's our perception of God? And I just want to ask, is it possible that we don't experience more joy in our life because we, we have this misconception of God? The God of joy. So what is true joy? 
True joy, I would sum it up this way, is fulfilled longing, and our greatest joy is that our greatest, deepest longing is fulfilled in God. True joy is fulfilled longing, and our greatest joy is that our deepest longing is fulfilled in God. Uh Uh-oh. Second question. So how do we live as people of joy? If that's what joy is, right? If it's rooted in the person of God, how do we experience joy? How do we live as people of joy? Mary sings in Luke 1, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Did you hear that? Before she ever lists all the things God has done, she's rejoicing in God himself. We just talked about joy is in God himself, God, my Savior. It was the coming of Jesus, God in the flesh that was the source of Mary's joy. Now, as a man, it's hard for me to fully comprehend what's taking place here. Some of you women will understand more if you've carried a child. What's taking place here in this story? Uh, not only between Elizabeth and, and Mary, but also like what's happening internally for Mary as she's processing what it means that God has taken on flesh and he is in her womb. Like I, I put my hand on Langley's belly and I felt the kicks, right? I, that's, that's as close as I can get. But the fact that God is within her, literally, like it, it's hard to get your mind around. There's a level of joy that Mary knew viscerally, physically, because Jesus was within her, right? And so she's experiencing th- this great joy. But then not only her, but as she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, what are we told? We're told in verse 40, this is what it says. It says, as she came to the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. Her baby leapt in her womb in response to Jesus, right? For behold, this is what Elizabeth says in verse 44, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. (laughs) The baby leapt for joy in her womb. John the Baptist, that's who's in Elizabeth's womb. John the Baptist, who came to prepare the way of Jesus, to point to Jesus, is at work already. He's doing his job from the womb, right? He's pointing to Jesus from the womb. He leaps for joy just by being near to the unborn Jesus. How amazing is that? How incredible that that's included in the gospel story of Luke, this beautiful picture of what it means when you get close to Jesus, Jesus is the God of joy in the flesh, which means he is embodied joy. He is manifest joy. Jesus is the most full and complete expression of joy in the universe, in creation. And so at Christmas, that's what we celebrate. We celebrate this great miracle that God in the flesh is coming to the world to dwell with us. And the good news is that through faith and repentance, we can know the joy of God's presence Can we know that same joy that Mary sings about here that she felt internally within her? Can we know that kind of joy? We can. That's what the scripture says, that God is within us through faith and repentance in Jesus. If we surrender our lives to him, if we give ourselves over to him, we can know the infinite joy of the infinite God within us for eternity. It's amazing. And so... What that means is joy comes through Jesus. Jesus brings joy into our lives. With Jesus always comes joy. So if you want more joy in your life, what does that mean? It means draw near to Jesus. It means draw near to Jesus. Spend time with him. 
Walk with him. Pray to him. Listen to him. Learn from him. Follow him. His, his joy, if you draw near to Jesus, the same thing that happened in Elizabeth's womb will happen in your heart. Your heart will respond to Jesus with joy because he is joy. It's like flowing from the heart of Jesus right into your heart is what happens. Joy is not rooted in our circumstances, but it flows from the heart of God ourselves. And so if we draw near to God, we will experience the fullness of his joy. Now, the truth is we live in a really hard world. We live in a world that's painful and where we experience suffering and where we don't feel joy a lot of the time. Um, It's a world marred by sin and evil. But if our joy is in Christ... What that means is even as we wait for Jesus, even when life is hard, even when we experience suffering and pain, we can hold to what is true because God is unchanging and his joy is unchanging. And so what God has done for us and will do for us is rooted in who he is and his promises that will be fulfilled for us. And so we cling to that in the person of Jesus. So for followers of Jesus, joy isn't a superficial feeling. It's a truth. It's a way of seeing the world. Joy is a way of seeing reality. Joy says that even when everything in life says otherwise, we believe that Jesus loves us, that he came to save us, that his spirit lives within us, and that he will return. We cling to that promise, and we wait for the fulfillment. In our lives, in this moment, what has already been fulfilled and what will be fulfilled. And so I just want to end with three simple things, just kind of practical things, I think, that can help us kind of live as people of joy. And the first one would be this, that we can live as people of joy by remembering the great things that God has done. This is just a simple thing, but it's in the Magnificat. This is exactly what Mary does. She remembers what God, the great things you have done for me, and she remembers the history of Israel and the great things God has done. And so she's remembering the things that God has done. So if you're struggling, if you're not feeling joy, be encouraged. The way to experience joy is to remember what God has done for you to do what Mary has done, that there are great things God has done for you. So just sitting down and spending some time thinking about what God has done in your life. And if you can't think of anything else, if you are a follower of Jesus, he's given you Jesus. The cross, the resurrection, the life that you have with him, no matter what thrown at you, that is true. And so you can cling to that, you can remember that, that you have salvation through the Son of God. Second thing is draw near to Jesus. Uh, If you're feeling apathetic, if you're feeling uh, cynical, what I would encourage you to do is to draw near to Jesus. Let Jesus' joy renew your joy. And I I would say joy is one of those things that you you have to come at indirectly, right? You can't pursue joy. Joy is a product of being near Jesus. True joy is comes by pursuing Jesus. So don't aim for joy, aim for Jesus. Let him restore the joy in your life. And some simple ways you can do that, just read through the gospels. I was talking to somebody the other day, they're they're just doing, they're not taking notes, they're not doing a Bible study, they're just reading through the incredible story of Jesus. Just read through Mark. and Just encounter that Jesus, who he is, who he says you are, how God thinks about you and who you are. We need to rejoice um, because we need to know who God is. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to draw near to him. So 
in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And that's true whether we feel it or not. And so that will help you in times where you feel dry, where you don't experience joy. Um, Third thing I would say is be with others who are joyful. Be around people who are joyful. Joy is kind of infectious, right? When I'm around joyful people, I experience more joy. It's one of the things that happens with my kids, right? Their joy is contagious in our house, right? Be around people, surround your people who see through the lens of joy in their life, who see reality through the lens of joy. Uh, Specifically, I would say it's one of the gifts of worshiping together. There's something that happens when we sing together and the kinds of words that we were just singing a few minutes ago, when we sing and we worship together, there's something about that that cultivates joy within us. Uh, we need to be together and let the Spirit remind us of who God is and who we are. We need to encourage and support one another. We need to rejoice over one another. And so I'll just encourage you, think about Sundays that way. Think about the gathering times that we have together as opportunities to kind of experience and to encourage each other with joy. Think about Christmas Eve that way. That you are coming in a way because you are in need of being reminded of this God of joy and encountering him with a group of people who are joyful. So, just to sum up, joy comes in the presence of Jesus. It's how it worked for Mary. It's how it worked for us. It's, it's, it's the only thing. God is the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And so if Jesus is our joy, the great promise of God is that nothing, nothing in this world can steal or kill our joy, the joy we have in the God of joy. So let's pray.